0: Okay, bear with me as our scripture reading today is all of John chapter 4. I'm going to read fast. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people,
1: Church, it's good to be with you all this morning. My name is Andrew Goizweta, as, as Hudson mentioned. I'm the campus minister with Reform University Fellowship at Davidson College, just down the road. Um, and, um, you know, knowing that uh, the plan is for me to come back at the end of the month to preach again, uh, this, this morning's is actually gonna be part one of a two-part mini-series. So, little, little uh, teaser to get you guys to come back uh, again at the end of the month. And uh, if you're the type of person that likes to follow along with an outline, I've got three points for you this morning because I'm Trinitarian. Um, three points. Uh, actually, you could say it's one point each for each of the, the James children that were just baptized. So I can't really cut any of them, Justin. I'm sorry. Um, but my three points are this. I've got one theme. That's the first point. Two textual details. It's the second point. And then, third and finally, three takeaways. Do you guys get it? One theme, two textual details, three takeaways. One T, two T, tea, three T's. I kind of feel like Dr. Seuss uh, up here. But uh, that's our outline for, the mor- for this morning. Before we dive in together, would you pray with me? Father in heaven, would you right now bless both the reading and the preaching of your holy word Would you show us Jesus and make us more like him? It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So first up, one theme. Imagine you and your family go out to eat. Uh, Maybe you go, you know, over to Sangam for some Indian food. Maybe you go to Hello Sailor. Wherever you guys go, you're with your family. You're eating lunch. Maybe it's after service this morning. And while you're eating, you overhear a conversation happening at the table next to you. And you look and you see it's you know, kind of three generations represented, the like grandparents, parents, and then kids. And what you overhear kind of surprises you, because you hear the, the you know, maybe middle-aged man, the dad in the group at the table, say this. You hear him say, I can't do anything without my father. I only do what I see him doing. Now, let me ask you, what would you be thinking at that point? I mean, in particular about this, this fully grown man saying, essentially, I need my dad for everything. I can't do anything without him. You'd probably think, really? Like, for everything? Come on, like, what's wrong with you? Like, grow up, right? Uh, why, why are you so needy? Right? Maybe if you're a a trained counselor, uh, you might be think maybe there's some codependency or some enmeshment going on. Right? But something's wrong. What's up with him? And yet, this is exactly what Jesus said. He had no problem uh, going around saying publicly and repeatedly, I can do nothing by myself. I can only do what I see my father doing. I bring this up to highlight the fact that Jesus was and is the most dependent human being to ever live. Or to put it differently, to put it differently, we can say Jesus was the neediest human being to ever live. He desperately needed, among other things, his heavenly father. What about, what about you and me? I mean, isn't it true that we hate being needy? We hate feeling needy. We would much rather be self-sufficient, independent, capable. We we hate being in need for other people or in need of other peoples in need of help. And yet Jesus was regularly in need. And that's our one theme both for this morning and for at the end of, of the month, uh, May 28th. Jesus had needs. And in particular, in in this morning's uh, morning's focus, we're going to see that Jesus had physical needs and physical limitations. So that's our theme. Jesus had physical needs, physical limitations. Let me show you how this plays out. I want to highlight two textual details from the story that we just read together from John chapter 4. These are going to shine a spotlight on Jesus' physical needs for us. So two details. The first one from the story is that Jesus, though fully God, did not flee, did not run from his physical limitations. We, we saw this early in the story in verse 4, as John records for us that Jesus, he had to pass through Samaria. And on, on the most basic of levels, what that's saying is that, that for Jesus to get to where he wanted to go, so he was in Judea, he wanted to go up north to Galilee, for him to make that trip and get to where he wanted to go, he had to pass through the region of Samaria. Now, by car or by bus, that trip would have taken all of maybe an hour, an hour and a half, right? It would be like trying to get to Spartanburg from Charlotte. But obviously they didn't have cars, they didn't have buses, so so Jesus and his disciples, they made that journey on foot. That, That 60, 70 mile journey would have taken them two to three days, right? And imagine on roads that were not paved in in the kind of uh uh dry hot arid climate of the mediterranean right it it makes sense we're not that surprised when we read in verses five and six that jesus was so worn out he was so tired so weary from that journey for only half that journey actually that he had to stop he had to stop at a halfway point in the town of sychar and sit down and rest at a well and not only that we see in verse 7 that Jesus was thirsty, obviously, naturally. He just traveled, you know, 30 miles, right? And so he asks the Samaritan woman for a drink. Now, none of that really, I think, surprises us, but it should, because in Jesus, God got tired. God got thirsty. God needed to rest. When you stop and think about it, that's pretty crazy. Jesus, though he was fully God, he didn't flee from his physical needs, his physical limitations. Rather, he embraced them. How many of you, raise your hand, how many of you have ever played a video game? All right. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. um, And keep them up if you've ever used a cheat code in a video game. Thank you guys so much for being honest. There's grace and forgiveness for that. Uh, you, can, you can lower your hands. Um, whether or not you played a video game or, or uh, used cheat codes, I want you to imagine you know uh, playing this role-playing game, right? And you, you get to this really hard level. You can't get past it. And uh, you, know, you can't get past it because your, your health bar keeps dro- dro- dropping down, right? And so you know how these games work. You need to, like, go find those little, like, glowing, bouncing health packs or whatever. Usually it's, like, in some hard-to-reach area or you've got to defeat the, you know, the boss, right, to get the health back, right? Um, and then if you're really, really desperate and you can't make it right through that part, that's when you're tempted to use the cheat code, right? To hit a few buttons and shoot your health up. Or if, if the game has it or if the you know, hackers coded it, you might actually turn on God mode, where basically it makes you invincible. No matter, no matter how, you know, uh, how, how much you're fighting someone, you, your health never drops, right? Think about this, Jesus had all the cheat codes for life, right, but he didn't use them. In fact, where you or I might be tempted turn on God mode, Jesus didn't. He didn't take any shortcuts, right? He, uh, he kept it real, as the kids would say. And, and, and think about this. I mean, Jesus being God and everything, right? He could have teleported himself to wherever he wanted to go, right? I mean, he could have just like snapped his fingers and immediately been from Judea to Samaria in an instant, without having to pass through Samaria, right? And, and, and not only would that have saved him and his disciples energy, it would have uh, saved them from having to interact with you know, the unclean, the, the idolatrous uh, Samaritans. Uh, they, they were the enemy of the Israelites, of, the God, of God's people. And so you, know, you can imagine that would have been attractive to do that, especially for the disciples. Jesus didn't do any of that. Instead, he set out on foot. He walked those 30 miles from Judea to Sychar. And then even even while he was walking, again, he could have instantly uh, made water appear out of nothing or food out of nothing and taken care of him and his disciples. But he didn't do that either because he embraced his physical limitations. He didn't despise or regret his human nature with all of its needs. He loved it. That's the first kind of detail from the text that I want you to notice. And the second is related to it. It's this. Were it not for Jesus' physical limitations, many would not have been saved. Because Jesus couldn't just hop on a bus and drive, right, up up to Galilee, uh, because he chose not to just teleport himself up there, because he, he grew tired and he had to rest and he had to sit by a well, salvation came to the town of Sychar. Let's, let's revisit the story together. You know, the story begins with this, this, this woman meeting Jesus at the well. She didn't go to the well that day looking for God, looking for salvation. She went looking for water. And she tried to do so incognito, quietly. I mean, the story tells us that she went in the middle of the day. You know, typically at that, at that time, uh, women would band together and they would go out to the well early in the morning for two reasons. One, their strength in numbers, right? So they kind of can protect one another. And then second, they want to escape the noonday heat, right? Here's a woman going by herself, in the middle of the day, you know, under the Mediterranean sun. Why is she doing that? You know, it's most likely because of her reputation. She was most likely either ashamed or ostracized or probably both, right? She didn't want to interact with any of the other women. But then she encounters Jesus and he offers her living waters. He offers her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And he goes on to tell her in her own words all that she ever did, revealing himself as the Messiah, the Christ. And so what does she do? In verses 28 and 29, we see that she leaves her water jar, which is the the whole point for her being out there at the well to begin with. She leaves the water there, And then she goes and and she tells all the townspeople, the people that she's trying to avoid, right? To come out and to meet Jesus. And they did. Verse 30 says that, that, that they went out of the town and they were coming to him. And then towards the end of the story, we're told that many Samaritans ended up believing in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. So here's the point had jesus not been a human being with human limitations or had he denied his human limitations had he put aside his humanity out of convenience or comfort these people would not have been saved jesus chose inconvenience discomfort fatigue thirst to save these samaritans but it goes further than that. It's not just ancient Samaritans that would would have missed out on salvation. Had Jesus not embraced his physical limitations, no one would be saved, not you, not me. Jesus had to be a man to redeem humanity. I wanna press this point just a little bit further because it's just so important. Every other worldview, every other faith, every other religion teaches that you need to either deny or transcend your humanity in order to be saved. Every one of them, it, it, you know, you gotta, you you gotta develop some great morals, great values. You've got to acquire that, that insider, that secret knowledge. You've got to exercise extreme self-denial and asceticism. You need to empty yourself of all attachments all distractions. You need to perform all the right religious rites and ceremonies. In all of these things, you escape or you transcend your humanity, your limitations, your finiteness. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches it's not your humanity that separates you from God, but your sin. Jesus didn't come to save you from your humanity but from the sin that mars your humanity. This is why the Bible says that Jesus had to be made like us in every way except for sin, so that he could restore and affirm the dignity that we were all created with, and to put away the sin that defaces that dignity. Think about it this way. We are all, you and I, broken mirrors, imperfectly reflecting the image of God, our creator, And so Jesus came to put those broken pieces back together again. To restore the image of God in us so that we could better reflect God in all of his wisdom, kindness, truth, love. Right? All right, that's a lot. I just threw a lot at you. This is the the TLDR version of everything I just said. Right? Too long, didn't read. All other religions, even works-based Christianity whether that's of the evangelical variety or the progressive variety. Every other religion puts the emphasis on our great search for God. Only Christ-centered biblical Christianity puts the emphasis on God's great search for us. And that's, that's all the difference in the world. And it's right here in John chapter 4. Today's passage shows us that in Jesus, a first century Jew from Nazareth, God went looking for a notorious Samaritan woman and her idolatrous Samaritan neighbors. And in Jesus, God is looking for notorious and idolatrous people like me and like you. All right, so what? This brings us to our third and final point. What are are some takeaways? I'm going to hit you with three takeaways. First, first takeaway, matter matters. Matter matters. You've probably heard a well-meaning person, maybe even a Christian, say something along the lines of, um, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. You have a body. Ever hear someone say something like that? Um, if not, maybe, uh, maybe you've watched Empire Strikes Back and you've heard Yoda say to Luke, I'm not going to do my Yoda voice, I'm sorry. Um, Luminous beings we are not this crude matter. What, what both your friend and Yoda are getting at is, look, you're, you're, not, you're not your body, you're a soul, you're a spirit, right? And according to the Bible, they only get it half right. Yes, you are a spirit, yes, you are a soul, but you don't have a body, you are a body. You're both a luminous being and you are this crude matter. As one of my seminary professors would say, a human being is a psychosomatic unity. Human being is a mind-body nexus. Psycho, like psychology, you know, the Greek word for mind. Soma, Greek word for body, right? You're a mind-body entity, unity. And so Christians who draw these sharp lines between the spiritual and the physical, they're drawing more from, from platonic, dualism They're drawing more from, from George Lucas and, and Star Wars than they're drawing from the Bible. And, and someone here might kind of push back and say, well, Andrew, what about you know, the Bible's teaching about what happens when we die? Or, or, or think about like, you know, wh- what did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? He said, today you will be with me in paradise, right? Well, clearly the, the man's body, the thief's body stayed on the cross, on his cross, and then his spirit went to you know, paradise, right? Or maybe you might refer to Paul and say, even Paul said it's better to be, what? Absent from the body to be present with the Lord. Doesn't this teach us, or doesn't this suggest suggest that there's like a mind-body dualism? And I would just answer that by saying, beware of basing your argument about the nature of being human on death. Beware of taking cues from death. Death is inherently absurd, abnormal, unnatural. It's an intruder. It's our enemy. It's the enemy that one of the enemies that Jesus came to destroy. Death separates what was never meant to be separated. And so I would just say instead of taking your cues from death, take your cues from the creation and from the new creation in Jesus. Just as Jesus was raised, both spiritually and physically, just as he was raised with a glorified body, so we will be raised with a glorified body. What, what we do in, with, and to our bodies matters to God because we belong to him and we were bought with a price. So we need to glorify God in our bodies. Matter matters. That's the first takeaway. Second takeaway is this. Our physical limitations are good. The fact that we're limited is a product of creation, not the fall. It's included in creation when God looked out and saw all that he had made and he said it was very good. That includes our limitations. Jesus embraced his limitations. So should we. Jesus got tired. Jesus took naps. So should we. We don't need to repent of our limitations. We don't need to repent of our finiteness. We don't need to repent of our inability to do everything, be everywhere, know everything. Jesus did not come to make us more than human. He came to make us more human. Uh, There's a quote uh, in your bulletins, and it's going to be up here on the screen, I think, in a second, from a pastor and author, Zach S. Wine. I want you to consider his words. He says, Christian life and ministry are an apprenticeship with Jesus in recovering our humanity and through his spirit, helping others do the same. If you are a Christian, apprentice with Jesus, embrace your limitations, embrace your humanity and help others do the same. Okay, so matter matters, physical limitations are good, Third and final takeaway and then we're done. Worship involves all of life. Worship involves all of life. When do you feel most spiritual? When do you feel closest to God? Maybe it's during a really good morning quiet time. Maybe it's when you're staying on top of your Bible reading program. Uh, Maybe it's when you're actively serving others. Maybe it's when you feel like you actually are making progress in fighting that sin, that temptation. Maybe it's right after coming back from an awesome Christian retreat. All those things, they're good things, they're helpful. But I want to remind you of something. If you are a Christian, you are no closer to God when you're reading your Bible than when you're brushing your teeth. You're no closer to God when you are fasting for Lent, let's say, than when you're folding laundry. You're no closer to Him when you're praying fervently than when you're out playing golf or pickleball. Why is that? It's because in Jesus, the infinite God became finite man In Jesus, he entered, God entered his creation and came infinitely close to us, even and especially through his spirit, which lives in us and among us. And I got one more quote for you. As theologian and the former prime minister of the Netherlands, Abraham Kuyper, once famously said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. So worship God, not in spite of your physical limitations, but through them. Worship him both here on Sunday mornings at church and on Wednesday afternoons in the carpool line at school or on Saturday afternoons at the ball field when you're talking to other parents. Worship involves all of life. Remember, Jesus did not come to make us more than human. He came to make us more human. So glorify God in your bodies. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, you have called us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so I ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us and help us to do just that. Uh, would you help each and every one of us to recognize the ways that we've been searching for, you, or that you've been searching for us our entire lives. And would you fill us with wonder and awe over your grace and mercy and love toward us and in through Jesus. We pray that you would draw us deeper and deeper into the life of your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.